Good morning. Good to see you. Let me welcome you here today and offer a few announcements real quick. First of all, for if you anyone who Conferman, Conferman families today at 4.30 in the choir room. The choir room. A reminder that next Sunday we will meet both services due to Lent. We, we are not, not having a combined service next week. So you will we'll have preaching at 9 and 11. A reminder about some of the mission requests. I know we seem to have a lot, but we're trying to work on a system where we'll have some more convenient locations for you to drop off stuff besides just the office. But we currently, with Greer Relief and Greer Ministries, are collecting uh, soup and tuna and peanut butter. And for the annual conference, elementary age children's books. And then Katie's group is also, the Mission Kids, are collecting jars of peanut butter and used books for their two mission projects that they're going on until um, Sunday, April the 6th. So I want to remind you of that and also remind those uh, families with children of the annual Easter egg hunt, which has a new name and a new theme in the Family Life Center at 10 o'clock on Saturday, April the 19th. Rock and roll Easter, okay? The story of the resurrection will be told uh, in several ways through experience stations. And then after that, they will enjoy their traditional Easter egg hunt outside. So if you will uh, keep those things, and I'm also sure that this will also be in the bulletin and newsletter if it isn't already. So again, I welcome you here this day and let us uh, begin our worship together.
The Lord be with you. Let us pray together. O oh God, our deliverer, God, now the people of your church that follow in our Savior, we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us affirm our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated and let those with young minds, children, and others come up now and join our teacher.
Our first scripture reading is from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And if you want to follow along in your pew Bible, it's on page 1752. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of God for the people of God.
Let us pray. O Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. O God, your greatness is above all other things in heaven and on earth. And so we are your people, and we come and we bow before you in worship. You have made us to be sheep of your pasture and revealed yourself to be our shepherd. And we sing our praises to your holy name. We confess this day that we know that you provide for our every need and that your ways are for our good. And still we try to tell you how to care for us. And we grumble when you choose not to do it in our way or on our timetable. You offer us the means to experience new life every day, but still we try to make you prove your love and your power. O God of mercy who sees into our most hidden secret places, have mercy upon us and cleanse us from our sin. And by your Holy Spirit, strengthen our hope that we will share your glory. And as your love has been poured out into our hearts, aid us to claim our justification by faith in Christ Jesus. Help us to renew our commitment to do your will by spreading your word so others might believe. Touch those who this day are suffering and in distress and bless those who are caring for them. Consecrate all suffering to your glory that in these things we may increase our endurance and be transformed into people of hope. Fill us with that promised spring of water which flows from your abundant fountain of life and which puts an end to all our need. Grant what we ask for we pray in the name of Christ our Lord who taught us to pray together these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We United Methodists believe that giving is a part of worship. It's an act of worship. So let us continue our worship with our giving as our ushers come forward to receive our tithes and our offerings.
please be seated. The story of the woman at the well that Jesus encounters almost takes up the entire chapter four. I'm not going to read you all that, but I'm going to tell you a little bit of setup before I read the part I want to read. And that is that Jesus was uh, on his way back from Judea uh, going north to Galilee, and he had to go through an area called Samaria to get there. And uh, it, this spot he stopped at a place called Jacob's Well, which you might remember from Sunday school. And he was tired from his journey, and he sat down at the well, and it was the heat of the day. In verse 7, it reads, And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now afterwards, I commend your reading the rest of this chapter. Uh, Jesus has some discussion with her. She is, uh, leaves and goes back to the village and starts testifying to the, her witness with Jesus. She became, in fact, evangelist for that whole town who came out and knew Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that here in the middle of our journey to Lent that this is the recommended scripture that says so much to us about grace and unconditional love. Help us to see that that is the essence of our journey to the cross. We pray in your name. Amen. How many of you have pets? Anybody have dogs or cats in your house? Now, I've had both in the past in our house. We don't now. A parson just or do not lend themselves well to pets. Uh, you, you have to keep them in such good shape all the time. But uh, I don't, if you had a dog, if you ever had a dog, you know that dogs usually have this unconditional love for you. They're always ready to come and jump all over you and lick your face and give you some love. Cats are a little more, you know, spinickery, I don't know the word is. They don't always even will come around you if you want to. Oftentimes I've thought that our Lord is more like a dog than a cat because our Lord is always ready to give us love, always ready to love us unconditionally. And we are really more like cats, I think, as people. We are, tend to be a little bit finicky about who and what and how we give our love. But this message of this scripture and the message of Lent, I believe, is about grace and unconditional love and unconditional acceptance by God of us 
and, and how we should reflect God if we are to be good disciples. Now, believe it or not, they actually did a study on this. Uh, Karen Allen, who is a research scientist at State University, New York, Buffalo Medical School, is probably funded by our tax dollars, I'm sure. But a study was found that people who are under stress showed the least amount of attention when they had their dogs with them. And she said, and I quote, I think dogs are non-judgmental and they love us. <laughs> I think that's pretty true. But you see, this, this study just points out and talks about something we already know, I believe, most of us about the Bible. And that is that this non-judgmental love that God gives to us reduces our tension. It reduces our anxiousness. In fact, I believe the scriptures testify of, of this kind of love far more than they do anything else. And in, in this type of unconditional love that God gives to us, gives us hope in hopeless situations, gives us assurance, I think, in times of anxiety. This non-judgmental, accepting, all-embracing love is the essence of the gospel message. I believe it lies behind such statements as do not judge others lest you be judged for the judgment you give will be the judgment you receive. And I think it is at the root of what happens whenever we encounter Jesus in the Bible being criticized by others, being criticized by the authorities usually for the company he keeps. Jesus kept company with all people, all walks of life. And Jesus accepted and embraced all people, all walks of life. And he accepts and embraces this woman at the well. He loves her as he loves all those who seem unlovable. Those who might seem unlovable to themselves or to others. And this is the type of love that God gives to us. That God is showers upon us and has been showering upon us throughout all the generations. I'm not much at landscaping. But one thing I do know, I learned the hard way, that every plant needs water to grow. One, one uh, time in my early job career, I was in charge of a large lawn center nursery area of a large retail store. And one of the things that I was doing was I was walking around and culling what I thought were dead and lifeless plants that needed to be tossed into the heap of fire, if you want to put it that way. But I learned the hard way that just because something looks wilted and dried out doesn't necessarily mean that it is. My boss came along, saw what I was doing, uh, barked at me a little bit, grabbed a water hose and started putting the water to these plants that I was trying to toss. And what I learned very much that day was that, that if you are dry, if your leaves are starting to curl and you look worse than ever, what you really need more than ever is not more heat. You don't need to be tossed. You need to be watered. You need to be watered. And sure enough, those plants perked right back up and looked wonderful. And we were able to sell every one of them. You see, people are the same way. Just like dry plants respond better to water than anything else, so do people. People respond best to grace, not condemnation. People respond when they can trust and they can thrust their roots down into what they need. And what they need is to be refreshed and renewed. And just like a plant, 
And when that happens, they start to grow again. They, they begin to produce the fruit that they were meant to produce. And these things are so true of the way we, we can deal with people. We can deal with people by tossing them aside, saying they're rejects, they're not important, we don't want to have anything to do with them. Or we can give them this water, this life-giving water that, that nourishes them and refreshes them and gives them a reason and a purpose. And this is what we all need. We all need this. And one of the things that happens to us, I think, in the church is we, is we start to get it for ourselves and then we stop wanting to share it with others. But this water, as Jesus described, wells up into eternal life. And, it, and, and, and then what happens is it wells up in us and it overflows and brings life to others. And, and, and this is the point. This is the point of the woman at the well. One time I served in a town where the churches had gotten together. None of them had cemeteries because they didn't have enough land around their churches. The churches all got together and built a cemetery that was to be used for the whole community and all the different churches. In the center of the cemetery was a statue. It was a statue of the woman at the well. I always thought that was a little bit odd and I was wondering about the history of it. And so I started asking around. And one fellow said, well, preacher, if you knew all the affairs that went on in this town, he said, you'd understand why we put the woman at the well out in the cemetery. But then he went on and he said, the thing is, none of us are anything but sinners. And we felt like that that story represented hope. Because you see, the woman at the well was kind of like the scarlet letter lady of the town. The reason she's out there in the middle of the day getting water is because she had such a reputation and she didn't have any friends. The woman at the well statue in that cemetery represented for those people in that town the hope of grace, the hope of God's unconditional acceptance and love for them, no matter what had happened to them in their past, no matter what sins had been committed. They knew that there at that well, Jesus offered her grace. He offered her love. He offered her acceptance. He offered her forgiveness. This is the essence of our Lenten journey. This is the essence. And I want to thank God today. I want to thank God for this love because I know that this love has been poured out on me. It's been poured out on you. I know that there was a time in my life when I was withering and perishing. And it was poured out. And I give thanks for this love. I give thanks for it because of the hope that it gave me, the peace that has eventually come to my life, and the assurance that I have now. I don't feel like I have to work my way into heaven. I don't feel like I have to do all these so many little rules and regulations. I know that I can just relax and know that God is with me. And so I give thanks. I give thanks just like many people have before me and will after me. I do exactly what the woman at the well did. You see, in the rest of the story I didn't read, read to you, after she experienced this transformation from the Lord, she went back into the village and started talking to everybody. She, she said, I have found one who's willing to accept me and forgive me. It might be the Savior we've been looking for. And so he doesn't hold my human feelings against me. He, he, and you see, and this is what I'm thankful for this Lent, and I hope you are too, is that this one, this one encourages us. 
He, cha he, he challenges us, yes. And even when I'm mad or, 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 or I want to argue with God, and trust me, I argue with God about once a week about something, God does not reject me or condemn me. And I thank God that my life is in His hands, not in the hands of, of those Pharisees of the world, uh, not in the hands of those who have nothing but condemnation or hardness of heart for people who have failed or, or for people who are not just like them. My life is in the hands of Jesus Christ, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for His unfailing acceptance and love of me, especially when I was perishing, especially when I wasn't what I should be, especially when being a follower of Christ was the last thing on my mind. Jesus accepted the woman at the well. He accepted her. It's important for us to remember and think about this. He accepted her even though she was an enemy of his people. At that time, she was considered an enemy of the Jewish people. He spoke to her of God even though she was of another faith that was seen as not worthy of even having a conversation with. He offered her his blessing even though she did debate with him and questioned his statements. You must read the rest of the chapter. I hope you'll do it today during the rain. And there's a place in there where he, took, he refers to her and, he, and the word that he uses in re reference to her. When you do a word uh, study and look at it, it's a term of endearment that is exactly the same term of endearment that he uses later in the scripture for Mary Magdalene, who was a good friend of Jesus. No wonder she sang his praises when she left that encounter with him. He accepted her. He loved her. He offered her that living water. You see, think about it. Even though he knew her nationality, her gender, her religious attitudes, her mixed history uh, sexually, he nonetheless treats her as an equal, as a person worthy of respect, a worthy of his attention, a worthy of his affection, worthy of his love. And that, my friends, is where the rubber hits the road, I think. It is in this decision on how we treat each other that is so important to whether or not we understand the journey we're on with Christ Jesus. It's how we treat one another, not just a select few, that determines, I believe, our true discipleship. When we treat people as we want to be treated, you see, that's important, right? But it's even more important when we can talk to both, say, executives and janitors and not show any preference to one or the other. When we can talk and discuss with both known sinners and known saints and make them both feel respected. When we can open our hearts and our minds and our doors, one of the tag lines of our denomination, to both friends and strangers and have them both feel welcomed when we can encounter people and not go right to judging them, not putting them down, not patronizing them, not putting them in categories, but helping them see true love and forgiveness as God has given to us, then we show God's love to the world and we show that we understand God's love. And it seems to me like this is an important thing for us to be reminded of, and that's probably why those ancient 
fathers and mothers of ours in the early church has recommended this reading for this point in time in this middle point on our journey to, to the cross. Because these are the true test of, and marks of a disciple. And it's a critical understanding, I believe, of what Jesus brought to the world as we seek to follow him. It's not easy. So hard. So hard to do. But while we were yet sinners, God poured his life out to us. The least we can do is try, is try to be the same way with others that we meet. Let's pray. Gracious God, I'm reminded of the psalmist who wrote that a deer pants for a running stream of water. And so do our souls, O Lord. We yearn for that living water that comes from you, that love that wells up into us and pours out from us and brings life not to us, but not just to us, but to others around us. Help us, O Lord, to open our lives to you first and foremost, to lay them bare, completely open, admit our sinfulness, confess our weaknesses. And then, Lord, help us to put down new roots in your word and help us to understand it when we turn our hands upward towards you and outward that we not only receive a blessing from you, but we can give a blessing to others. And grant, O oh God, that we would be seen as people who speak the truth in love and leave the judgment to you. Help us to see that there's a great harvest of people who simply want to be loved. Let us love them into the kingdom, O oh Lord. Let us help them see that you have all that they will ever need and that you have grace even for them. Oh God, you are the God and author of love. Thank you for that living and everlasting gift of unmerited favor called grace that you poured out to the world because you loved the world so much you gave your only son. And help us, O oh Lord, to confess that same grace and love in all that we say and do, in all that we meet. We pray in your precious name. Amen.
may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit, may they always be yours. Amen.